This podcast is presented in 1x speed to preserve the creator's original vision. Thank you, Andrew. Um, <laughs> we're doing 1x speed now. This is. You may notice that my voice is a little lower. Yeah. I little actually bit. have become 38 years of age this week, and so. Mm. I'm getting a little bit more mature. Mm-hmm. Um, and this... <laughs> go, 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 shorty. It's your birthday. It's your birthday. We're going to party like it's your birthday. We're going to sip a party like it's your birthday. And you know we don't give up. yeah this is good timing right this is what people don't realize is that this is what you actually sound like right yeah correct i'm finally taking off the mask Mm -hmm. as it were yeah you're sick Um, of people confusing you for being my son or something right yeah so now and actually you know what i think maybe i'll go a little deeper okay yeah now i'm making my voice deeper on purpose uh Okay, I can't do this anymore. Boris <laughs> Johnson, London Shishu Des. You've become the spoon carver. I want to talk about that. This is the one thing we didn't want to happen. Yeah. Um I've become the spoon carver. Um big shout out to to friend of the show, Justin, uh, for getting me into this. Um because he does spoon carving. Um, so I've been some amazing spoons. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, I've been doing the spoon carving, um, and I've already given blood to this hobby because I, uh, I, I whacked my thumb with the hook knife the other day, which was unpleasant. Oh no. Yeah. You use, you use your thumb a lot. You do. Yeah. Um, yeah. You use your thumb. Uh, the area of the thumb that I managed to nick with the knife happens to be the area of the thumb that one uses to, for example, open a bandage. Oh. Or, oh. or for example, to type on 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 an i iPhone. Uh, so uh-huh. yeah. Um, anyway. We both had similar injuries this week. I, I, I mean, it's a little personal, so nobody share this, okay? But uh, <laughs> keep it amongst yourselves. But I got like some sort of insect bite or a pimple mm. on my butt. Oh. That's unfortunate. But like on my butt and the crease, like you know, the bottom of your cheek where it meets your leg. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so where it becomes, it goes from butt to thigh, right in that region, uh, which does a lot of movement. I've found out. Mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. so it's just like a constant little reminder that I have that I'm hurting. Like it's right. not, it's not bad. But I imagine it's like a similar thing where you like you. It's not a part of your body. You think about like. Right. It just kind of does its thing, and then you're like, ow, every time you have to use it. Yeah. It's just like, ow, 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 stop that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see, to see your spoon work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is, a, this is a good journey for you, I think. My life. Indeed. Ooh. Uh, Andrew. Aaron, new pasta just dropped. <laughs> Wow, this is uh it looks like an internal organ of some sort. It does, doesn't it? It looks like it's a cross section of a cell or something. But yeah, there's been a oh, new Oh, this is a Dan Pashman uh Indeed. Thing. I love I love Dan Pashman. Yeah. Because he uh, told me I can eat as much salt as I want, even oh. though it's not true. Hmm. But <laughs> Dan uh, Pashman is a fun guy. Yeah, he's apparently been engineering a new uh, pasta shape with the goal of basically maximizing uh, the amount of sauce that the pasta will, you know, um, you know, uh, acquire hold. and hold on to. Yeah. Um, and so we have this new shape, uh, which is called uh, cascatelli. Um, and it sort of looks wow. like if you split bucatini down the middle and then gave it ruffles like like the edge of like ravioli or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, but uh, Ro- you can you can uh, you can go buy this, although it's uh, sold out at the moment. Um, but he's using yeah. a term sauceability. It yeah. boosts it boosts the sauceability. Well, he's got a yeah, he's got a three point uh, matrix, and we'll we'll discuss later the nature of using uh, statistical measures as uh, you know targets. But um, sauceability, forkability, and tooth sinkability. So 
This is part of a five-part series on his Sporkful podcast. Yeah, you can go listen to that if you want. But I thought it was it would behoove us to report on the latest pasta news. So, if if anything, we are a pasta podcast. That's true. We this podcast is so many things. One of those things is is you know a pasta podcast. So. We're yeah. also we're a pasta podcast, but we're also a train podcast. We are. That's true. We've um, we've got some train content here. Yeah, chugga chugga choo chewing its way toward us. Um. Yeah. Uh, but I uh, should say that I should say that in this voice. Let's try it. Let's try it with chugga chugga choo chewing its way toward us. um yeah uh wabtech locomotives which is the company that that uh produces the ge locomotives that folks are probably Uh familiar with um has asked congress to help fund a freight rail innovation institute that will develop zero emissions locomotive technology to replace the diesel by 2030 um now Um, i perhaps they'd like to hire me because i have some ideas about how we can make locomotive zero emissions. excuse me it involves yeah isn't a lot of wires (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know they're talking about like oh we want to do like batteries and hydrogen and whatnot and it's like folks we've like have had the technology to make emissions free trains for literally over 100 years like literally it's it's not it's a known quantity like it's it's not rocket science it came a hundred years before rocket science it (laughs) came known how to do this (laughs) before the mass adoption of the gas-powered automobile like there were already electrified trolleys absolutely all over yeah (laughs) what in the what in fresh hell what everything's a scam do you know everything Mm -hmm, is a mm -hmm. scam lately our economy is a scam economy (laughs) well this is interesting they say you know they've been testing this this locomotive that they call flex drive which is a battery electric locomotive it's been being tested by the bnsf railway it says to date Uh it's run over ten thousand miles and delivered an average of 10 percent reduction in fuel consumption across the train And again, I will note, I have an idea that will reduce fuel consumption by 100% across the train. It's, it's very, very easy. <laughs> it's, yeah, this, this is a solved problem. I did posit, though, that, you know, um, the idea, I think the idea of powering an entire train solely on batteries is kind of ridiculous because the amount of batteries required would just be outrageous. But the idea yeah. of putting batteries on an electric train so that it can run without wires is actually pretty smart. Because there it can are sort of like make jumps or something. Exactly. Because there are areas of the network where installing wires would be like very expensive or just difficult to do, like old tunnels where you'd have to like raise yeah. the height of the tunnel or whatever. So like if you have batteries, then you just don't electrify the tunnel and then it just runs through the tunnel. You know, if you have like something where it can get like, you know, 10 to 15 miles of battery range, that's fine. Because mm-hmm. then as soon as it gets back on the wire, it can recharge. But right. But I don't know that we're going to be running cross country trains solely on battery. That seems not especially feasible with current battery technology. Cool, 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 cool. And also, like, the- I mean, what what would what would make you know what would be great for cars? Electric cars would be like if we knew where they were going to go, you know, so we could string up wires. But like, we literally have that with trains; they can only go where the tracks are. <laughs> on it's the very track. simple. Yeah. <laughs> You, you know they exactly trains... where they will be going. <laughs> well, you know how you have like amphibious vehicles. Mm-hmm. What they need are trains that are like they can just regularly go off track and start <laughs> plowing down the street right. when they when they need to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they can take a diversion. Jeez. They just go off. That would be fun. Um, anyway, I, I've heard lately about hydrogen trains. Yeah. Um. There's a article that came out recently in the toronto star they're draw they're doing a proposal for hydrogen powered trains to explain hydrogen powered trains to me this is the this is in the segment of andrew please explain to me yeah so the uh, idea with hydrogen powered trains is sort of the same as hydrogen powered cars right which is like um in order to get around that batteries are big and heavy and take a long time to recharge we'll sort of do the same thing with like fuel and engines but we'll do it with hydrogen the hydrogen becomes the battery. Right. You put a hydrogen fuel cell in, and then the hydrogen fuel cell converts hydrogen gas and oxygen in the air to water, and in doing so, it extracts electricity through that process, 
which now then- I remember watching a hydrogen car documentary in high school. And so this is like in the late nineties. Um, and I remember it basically convinced me that hydrogen power was like going to change the world. And I was yeah. super into it, even though I didn't quite understand it. And I would say that a, a substantial reason for that is that any hydrogen powered vehicle just has like a, a, a PP trickle. That's just yeah, water. The only it's exhaust just, from a hydrogen just, powered car is water out the tailpipe. Yeah. So it's just it's constantly just, dribbling a little bit of water out the back. <laughs> subtly peeing everywhere it goes, which to me is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, uh, Go Transit in Ontario was exploring um, using hydrogen powered trains for to replace their current trains um, rather than just electrifying, which, again, would be easier and more yeah. proven. Um, yeah, so they, back in 2017, they started looking at hydrogen, um, and then after spending four years and $7 million looking into the issue, they've concluded that it's not, uh, uh, likely to meet their requirements in the immediate term because it hasn't been used on the scale necessary. And also there are questions that remain unanswered regarding fuel production, storage, and transport, as well as refueling, uh, which are all great things. Oh, just that. Uh, (laughs) currently something called science. Currently, the hydrogen that we use for hydrogen-powered stuff comes largely as a byproduct of oil refining. Um, Well, that's a problem. (laughs) So we love that. Yeah, exactly. Um, And also, um, refueling hydrogen-powered things is uh, a little bit dangerous because it's a gas at high pressure and it's a volatile gas. Um, And, you know, unlike if you imagine refueling a car, if you overfuel it a little bit, it just sort of dribbles out onto the ground. um, And it's not really an issue unless you like drop a lit cigarette on it. If you overfill or if there's a leak in the fueling system of hydrogen, it immediately disperses into the air and can quickly reach a concentration where it can, you know, spontaneously combust, which is bad. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's not uh, not the greatest thing. Um, and in in that you know uh, um, regard, but yeah, it's um, you know a lot of the stuff has been experimental, um, and it's not really proven yet, and it's not really at this point, it's not really any better than you know like a diesel fueled um, locomotive because the production of pure hydrogen is you know comes from hydrocarbons and requires a lot of energy to split the hydrogen out. Um, that it still yeah. it still takes more energy in to produce hydrogen than you get out from it, and that energy that's going into the process is still pretty dirty energy that's that's being used for this. So mm. it's not um, you know Ontario has a lot of hydropower that they could pretty easily use to just you know string up some wires and connect it to their electric grid, and then use electric trains. It's just funny how there's this like sort of. Um bargaining situation going on like you know we've reached the stage uh you know that we're at bargaining now Mm -hmm. and it's like please anything but electricity please anything but just electrical stuff it's like please it's like they're looking for like you know the new cool like gadget right and like electric trains like we say have been around so they're like they're not like new or exciting anymore but of course they work, mm. but they're not new or exciting. So it's like, oh, but we can't sell anybody on this because it's not like next generation, you know, fancy stuff. And it's like, I'm ah, still pretty good, though. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, just, it works just fine. Make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> There's love the profit motive, making mm-hmm. things uh, better indefinitely for everyone yeah. since uh, the 1800s. Thank you very much. Speaking of profit motives, our ad got today. An ad here. Yeah. Our our ad today is for advertisements. Have you ever wanted to okay. make money for your podcast? Try running ads such as this one. Yeah. Sometimes this is a little self-referential. Think, I'm a little confused about it, but you know. Listen, well, they, sometimes they give you us think the money. You, th- you think, you know, I have this project that I want to do. Um but I need I it's not its own revenue stream. So how do I how do I make enough money to make the product happen? You know, um, and you can just do that through selling uh or hucking product mm-hmm. on your medium. So, you know, 
um, this is a podcast. We put an ad on it. Yeah. And that subsidized the creation of the podcast. Someone gives um, us some terrible, terrible product and we don't use it. And then we get on and we say, I personally endorse XYZ product, which I use every day to like, I don't know, uh, you know, bleach my paper whiter or something. I'm you know. glad you went with paper. I was very concerned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Yeah, and you know what? A lot of people see this as a podcast thing, but like, you know, the, the big secret is that they've been doing ads for a long time. They've been doing ads in newspapers. Longer than they've we've had do- electric trains, we've had ads. Yeah, they've been doing on on televisions. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been doing them in films. Yeah. They're kind of all over. It's a little insidious, actually, if you think about it. Yeah, it's surprising that we do need to have an advertisement for advertisements. Yeah. Um, But we're not going to turn down the money. No, certainly (laughs) not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You also also can find that uh, advertisements have have a a side effect of also making people... um, come to you as a source for for products Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. almost like a a virtuous cycle you do ads people say oh okay this is the person i want to hear my ads from so you can do more and more ads and and you can get a real ad dense uh medium if you want Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you can do uh, you know sometimes you do like five minutes of podcast and then five minutes of ads you know we only do one ad break. Some podcasts, you know, the whole podcast might as well be an ad break, you know? Well, it's more of an ad with the podcast break. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that works for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, uh, people, uh, people listen to that apparently. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I think we're doing social commentary now instead of an ad. <sighs> we keep. Ideology. Yeah. We, we do have that problem. Anyhow, um, ads. <laughs> We've been, I've been collecting some pieces, uh, so I'm just, they're all related mm. to a, uh, continent. Okay. So we're just going to call this the Asia vertical. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just very funny when, whenever people talk about Asia, it always cracks me up a little bit because they talk about it as if it's sort of like a monolith right or it's a the the largest continent which has like (laughs) yeah (laughs) most of earth which contains most of earth's people yeah um so many nationalities races religions cultures but what is Uh, asia (laughs) you know like Turkey is in Asia. Right. Russia is in Asia. China is in Asia. Your Europe is um, technically in Asia. They claim they're a different continent, but that's not how that works. They, there's no ocean dividing them. No. Oh no, my chair. Ugh. Oh. Ugh. We need we need like a chime. We need like a sort of some sort of segment. Yeah, we just need like a chime <laughs> to announce when my chair has slowly slid back too far and i'm i realize i'm crouching and leaning um so the first thing i've been collecting articles on is this new thing i've noticed that they they you know them the Mm, man right you know those those people they um, in inverted in inverted commas yeah (laughs) they want to they want a new china cold war absolutely yeah it's time and that we stop letting China um, do whatever it's been doing, which is bad. Yeah, you know, yeah. I as someone who reads the books and reads the manuals, um, I've just been noticing lately more and more that that uh, they're they're trying to set the stage for a new Cold War. I I I I sort of like see news articles every day, listen to a lot of potted casts, mm-hmm. and I definitely see that this is coming from the media machine. And I've collected some articles, some things that have been happening lately. They're really trying to dial it up. So uh this article from Reuters just really got my goat. Uh Biden administration singles out China as biggest geopolitical test for us and this quote from it just like had me 
It is the only competitor potentially capable of combining its economic, diplomatic, military, and technological power to mount a sustained challenge to a stable and open international system, the national security document said of China. Hmm. I love to accuse them of doing the stuff that we do. Right, yeah. It's like, hey, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> hey, that's our thing. Yeah. That's bad. It's bad when you do it. It's fine when we do it. There's a lot of that happening. Mm. Um, this Pew Research uh, dropped that basically shows the extent to which the American public's views have shifted very negatively toward China um, and Asia in general, but specifically toward China. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty wild. You look at these graphs and you're like, whoa, in just a matter of years, it's really gone off the handle. And everyone wants to blame Donald Trump, but uh, this, is ha- this happens on the left and the right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Then we had a fun thing that happened this week was uh, U.S. and China met for talks in uh, in uh, Alaska, and uh, <laughs> the this 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 little poll quote from an article from Bloomberg: Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle in the U.S. have pressed Biden to maintain Trump's tough tone on China, and his team has largely done sh- done so. So, like. Everybody is wanting to make China the bad guy. Yeah. And so they, they went to this, uh, this uh, summit in, in uh, Alaska, and uh, one, of the, one of the representatives from China, Yang Jiche, uh, just like went ham on the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I was just reading this, and it just like, I don't know. It, it, this must be what it feels like to be someone who, who likes to like, um, one of their kink is to be dominated. Mm, this must, mm-hmm. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that because it's just like not my thing, but like the way I feel seeing China just like, sh- like shit on the US like this, that must be what it feels like. It makes me tingle inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he said, let me scroll down. I've got some tweets of reporters talking about it. Uh, oh, many people within the United States actually have little confidence in the democracy of the United States, uh, citing the Black Lives Matter movement and the killing of blacks. Just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah don't lecture us. <laughs> right. Yeah. China, yeah, is probably the one of the first countries to actually sort of call us on, you know, our BS. In that, you know, we we go around, trot around the world talking about, you know, like, you know, liberty and freedom or whatever. And then you have lots of problems back home. I mean, the USSR did this during the Cold War, right? Because they would always point stuff like that out. And then that's been somewhat absent in the meantime since the collapse of the USSR. So, I don't know. it's something that a lot of people have argued pushed progress in the United States because there was a credible critique from an actual rather right. correct or perceived foe that could that you know that could pressure us uh and we just haven't had that so if, when i see that i'm like i get very excited uh not that china is obviously uh off the hook <laughs> yeah because no, uh, i, I want to be clear that like we don't we're not fans of china by any means we're not quote unquote you know pro china tanky type people yeah i'm not i'm not a maoist (laughs) yeah um but uh you see every once in a while those people bubble up on twitter those people who are like oh all this stuff about xinjiang is like a cia op and it's like uh i I don't (laughs) think so (laughs) yeah it's it's you they can we can both be bad you know yeah Mm -hmm. in fact it's more likely that that's the case they're also china is is to me i there is a thing where it's like game recognized game yeah and you gotta handle it to them and something that just came out is that china has started buying more iranian and venezuelan oil right which are countries that we have embargoes on (laughs) right so sort of undercutting our economic embargo on both of those nations which Basically from this Wall Street Journal article, if it sells 1 million barrels a day at current prices, Iran has no incentive to negotiate. Yeah. 
which I know you got to hand it to him props to them because it's pretty hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the then you know obviously all of this uh cold war stuff is brewed up and and then uh oh no all of a sudden we're worried about uh anti-asian racism oh, in hmm. the united states interesting who could have seen this coming i mean there's this uh i'm sorry for putting a link to politico in our show notes i apologize <laughs> this is a politico playbook mm. p- presented by amazon Mm-hmm. Um, Lovely. but it is a little, little good. It is a pretty good summary of, uh, what's been going on as far as this is concerned. And, uh, we, we definitely ha- should have seen this coming, uh, you know, people in the Asian community are like, yeah, there's racism. I, it's pretty surprising, but, mm-hmm. uh, we had an unfortunate, uh, incident. Uh, was it this week or last week? Uh, I think it was this week. Yeah, where uh, some crazy dude went uh, insane and and uh, violently attacked two places, predominantly with uh, Asian people there. Um, that happened, and now the discourse is that we should argue over whether this was racist or not. Mm, mm-hmm. Which has well, been a fun the, thing because the sheriff, I guess, or the you know the communications guy at the sheriff was like, no. Um, it wasn't racist. The guy's just an incel, and it's like, cool, great, <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. Uh huh. That that argument he was highlighted by, <laughs> yeah. So that that he he became the character of the week on yeah. Twitter, um, and Andrew Sullivan, uh, a, a dunderheaded regressive, one of the uh, one of the substackerati. Yeah. Yeah. On his Substack, uh wrote about this and it's and it's just it's very interesting because he said uh I'm going to just re- I have a poll quote from the so you don't actually have to go to the the terrible Substack to well, read it. Well, and it's it's paywalled um, anyway, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. I uh, I somehow have obtained it through other sources. Oh, uh lovely. So I've included it here, mm-hmm. but basically he said, we have yet to find any credible evidence for anti-Asian hatred or bigotry in this man's history. Maybe we will. We can't rule it out, but we do know that his roommates say they once asked him if he picked the spas for sex because the women were Asian and they say he denied it, saying he thought the spas were just the safest way to have quick sex. That needs to be checked out more, but the only piece of evidence about possible anti-Asian bias points away, not toward it. Yeah, I asked this, him if he was a racist and he said he wasn't. So, you know. Yeah, he said, "Oh no, race doesn't have anything to do with why I go to these two different yeah. sex spas that are Also, we've yet to Asian find women. any cre- credible evidence of anti-Asian hatred apart from the murders th- that he did, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Which are pretty big pieces of evidence as far as evidence goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um it's 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 also just like such an insane misunderstanding about what racism is. There's just this like belief that a conscious uh held belief that you hate a certain race is the definition of racism, but it's absolutely not. It's the way that you you interact and think of and treat people uh you know like racism is this latent thing and you you wouldn't be going to these places <laughs> and using this business and then killing these people if you didn't have a hatred for them. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, right. it's not that difficult of a concept to grasp. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we have to argue about it uh, really it's shows. It's funny that how they're saying, like, oh, there's no plot. smoking gun. And it's like, there is a literal smoking gun. <laughs> It's just like not that but hard. But this is, you know, I, I this is from Andrew Sullivan, you know, a bell curve believer guy. So like, uh, what do you expect, yeah. honestly? I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's just like the they can't see it because they can't understand that it's bad, right? To 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 commoditize and subjugate other human bodies. Uh, they they can't grasp that because their fundamentally conservative worldview doesn't allow them, right? Mm. Um, and so they can't they can't see the inherent misogyny and 
racism of the system in which people participate. Well, then you're never going to get it. Yeah. Um, then another thing that just has really caught my eye, I'm really side-eyeing a lot of people because I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of my uh, people in my cultural circle from the IRL have been posting a lot of, uh, you know, uh, stuff about anti-Asian racism and how it's a problem and we need to stop it and, you know, Asian lives matter and and stuff. Mm-hmm. But these are people who were just, that was crickets during the George Floyd protests and all of those uprisings and hmm. and Black Lives Matter. And hmm. any, they've never said anything about that. Interesting. Um, but but this is- this <laughs> What is could a, possibly explain this disparity? This is a cause that they could get behind, apparently. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. And it just is exhausting. Yeah. It's so exhausting to see. And and it's also like feeds into what what the problem with Asian racism against Asians is because it's this sick twisted model minority thing where yeah. where now we 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 fetishize them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you fetishize people along racial lines and then, you know, use that to fulfill your political or ideological agenda. Um, that's bad. So I don't know. I think there needs to be more talking about that and more examination of, of, of why that happens. And it's hard to do it because it sounds like you're discounting, um, that racism, uh, when you're trying to like pit minorities against each other. And that's absolutely not what I'm trying to do. Um, I don't know. It's something I noticed that I had to I had to say because it's just a little wacky and it mm-hmm. really does sort of reveal what's going on in our country at this time. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I feel like I've just been talking a lot, but uh, I don't know that I have anything insightful to add. <laughs> That's you, you uh, props for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> we need more of that in this country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should have stopped Andrew Sullivan if he, you know, you're the only oh, good yeah. Andrew, as mm. <laughs> as I say. We, yeah, we keep finding that out. And, you know, it's kind of disappointing for me because I worry that I'm going to be tarnished by association. But I guess <laughs> that's just how it is. So, oh. Speaking of things that are tarnished, uh, mm. neoliberalism, which, yeah, we Ooh. love. Liberalism. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, we've we've had these in the notes for a while, but uh, we thought it was a good time to bring them up again. Uh, concepts. Um, the first one is called Goodhart's Law, um, and the the uh, the um, the the generalization of it is: when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. Uh, and and in in uh, more complicated terms, it's stated: any observed statistical regularity will tend to collapse once pressure is placed upon it for control purposes. And this was specifically about like monetary policy, but it has you right. know, interesting implications for just trying to you know measure and control things generally. Um, so, like an example of that is if you would say if you make. Um, the if you make gdp your main measure of an economy Mm -hmm. then you're gonna miss out on so many other things right and it's going to warp your perspective and also you make everything targeted at changing the gdp and it becomes so micro targeted on that one number that you you start to completely destroy the overall goal you were trying to do mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> to improve the economy and then sort of adding on that as campbell's law which is the more any quantitative social indicator is used for social decision making the more subject it will be to corruption pressures and the more apt it will be to distort and corrupt the social processes that it's intended to monitor so basically like yeah as you start to measure things by like gdp for example then you you start seeing people manipulating things to make those metrics better um, one of the examples they talk about in the Wikipedia article for Campbell's Law is um, the No Child Left Behind Act and Race to the Top mm-hmm. and things like standardized testing and test scores and how those, you know, when you start testing everyone like standardized testing, then those numbers start to get manipulated and they gradually lose, you know, um, you know, meaningfulness as they become. It's sort of like grade inflation, too, right? 
uh, where grades have been in general tracking up, you know, and so it becomes less and less useful to track things based on that. But these are the sort of things that neoliberals just love is figuring out the right numbers that they can put into a spreadsheet to manage the government. And then you just have like an Excel macro that manages it all. You know, well, and the interesting thing is that the the origin of Campbell's law came from an analysis uh, of Prime Minister Tony Blair's uh, policies, which which can be summarized as like the prime example of this, right? Mm-hmm. Where you you make these certain statistics your prime indicators of success, and now anything to the contrary is is left out you know everyone knows that the sort of the the neoliberal politics have resulted in just like a worse world like everyone looking around can be like the world has gotten worse Mm -hmm. (laughs) it did not help but they can say you know like a sort of what's that guy pinker yeah uh we'll, we'll just be like no but look at all these statistics that i found that say everything's great right and it's like, oh, you're going to believe your lying eyes. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and, and it's, it's funny because, yeah, go ahead. As it mentions here, it says another concept related Campbell's Law emerged in 2006 when UK researchers published an analysis of evidence-based policy, a practice espoused by Tony Blair. In the paper, they describe how a government that tries to base its policy on evidence can actually end up producing corrupted data because it seeks to capture and control the knowledge-producing processes to the point where this type of research might be best described as policy-based evidence. And the thing that I think about is like when people point to like, oh, the unemployment rate is down, but then you can look at other measures like the labor force participation rate that show that like, Mm. you know, there are generally less people that are even seeking employment. Like, so they've fallen out of the unemployment statistics and, you know, look at the age of the labor, the labor market. Look at, you know, all (laughs) these people who just refuse to enter it or can't enter it. Right. But that's the thing is you can pick and choose some measure that and then say like, oh, but look, (laughs) things are good, actually. So and that that's like the big the big theme I've noticed lately that and they've I've heard about this on some other podcasts. But there's this this thing that about neoliberalism that is there's this thing that it's that it's like if we can just put society, if we can just put our government on autopilot, if we can just Right. Set up a perfect system of management, which is it's like, yeah, we don't need all great. these institutions because we can just sort of automate all of this stuff. You know, this was it yeah. was interesting because there was some some neoliberal uh, was posting on Twitter this week. Um, I think it was about, you know, like transit systems outside the U.S. or whatever. And they're like, oh, look at how good, uh, you know, their transit systems are. And someone quote to them was like, do they realize that their policies are, you know, the, the direct, you know, cause the direct result of the hollowing out of our own infrastructure and all that? It's like, <laughs> no, they don't. But, you know, <laughs> it's funny for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 just uh, it's kind of insane because you you start to realize um it's easy to see this when you come from a uh a sort of professional background like you have or that I have like engineering technology um you know you're working with these systems you realize that you know this old saying bad data in bad data out you realize yeah. that like there is no good data Literally anyone who's tried to set up like a smart home device will will know that like, (laughs) you know, automating an economy is not a feasible prospect. I can barely have my lights turn on and off when I want to, you know? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. (laughs) It's and, and, and the idea that, well, if we just find people smart enough. Yeah. You know, we just find the right measures that we can control they can, they can do this <laughs> yeah it's you know they're just trying to write some sort of control algorithm for the whole economy but like that's not a thing you can do because <laughs> the problem space is infinite so yeah i don't know that's what, we should maybe we should have every like political science curriculum start teaching a little bit of control theory <laughs> Be like, yeah, yeah, you have to go over to the EC department for a semester and learn how controls work. 
you you also have to spend a year uh working support desk yeah <laughs> to find the many ways that people can break things yeah that you would have never imagined mm-hmm. um it it, it it and it shows just like a real lack of of real world fundamental experience with like helping people or or making things work you know that you just imagine that things can just fix it uh it real neoliberalism just like it's a bad thing Mm -hmm. um and it's there's like an example that goes like contrary to it that's like uh that we have like if you just do something if you just give people money Mm -hmm. it like turns out that helps people like more than your targeted welfare systems uh right yeah, and we had <laughs> talked about this in relation to a study that they conducted, I think it was in Africa, you know, where they gave people therapy or money and compared and found that, you know, money was way more effect- effective. Um, but the city of Stockton, California, has been basically providing payments of $500 a month to 125 randomly selected individuals living in neighborhoods with average incomes lower than the city medium of $46,000 a year. The recipients are, were allowed to spend the money however they saw fit, they were not obligated to complete any drug tests, interviews, means, or asset tests, or work requirements. They simply received $500 a month, every month. Uh, and it turns yeah. out that this this works. Um, and it doesn't, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it hasn't caused anyone to, like, you know, stop working or anything like that. That's the thing that yeah. is often trotted out is like, oh, if you give people money, they stop working and then they become dependent on welfare or whatever. Um, and that is uh, simply not the case here, it says. In, um, the, in the share, the share participants with full time jobs rose 12 percentage points. Yeah. <laughs> Families receiving the $500 a month tended to spend the money on essentials, including food, home goods, utilities, and gas. Less than 1% went to cigarettes and alcohol. The cash also doubled the household's ability to pay unexpected bills, allowed them to repay, pay down their debts, and also helped their friends and families, providing financial stability to the broader community. Um, you know, Some were able to pay off credit card debt, take care of groceries without having to run to the food bank, um, you know, Things like that. Uh, but yeah, it didn't shrink the labor force. In fact, it expanded it a little bit, um, gave people uh, breathing room and generally helped them feel less stressed out. So, And something that, that, that people who've never been poor or never worked with or helped people in poverty, that, something they don't understand is that it takes resources to work. Mm-hmm. You... You have to have transportation. You have to have regular food. You have to have like a, a lot of things in life that give you the the ability to schedule your life and to dependably show up to a job require money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like it's it it's hilarious that people don't understand this. And I guess it's because if you haven't had that lived experience, it's hard to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really wish people would get it into their heads that uh it takes money to make money it takes some sort of stability to have uh, to be able to to participate in this economy yeah. um and if you just give that like to people they'll they'll do better right it's it's not it's not rocket science yeah <laughs> annie lowry sums up the benefits by saying more work less destitution more family stability less strained social networks less stress fewer incidences of homelessness fewer skipped meals this is what welfare could give the country it's it's almost but, a sort of panacea Andrew, <laughs> the problem is if you just do cash payments then you can't develop a whole department uh, right. to give jobs to your fail nephews. Yeah, and you might you might give such. money to people who don't deserve it based on some bizarre conception of who deserves things and who doesn't. You can't withhold and give benefits to people yeah. that will um you know help your political prospects increase racial tensions and right. whatnot. No, I'm um, just thinking about, you know, people who uh, you know, um, abuse drugs and alcohol mostly as like a coping mechanism for their, you know, um, you know, their stressful lives. And, you know, then people who, um, you know, get thrown in prison for like stealing food that they need to eat or whatever. And it's like, we can solve a lot of these things by giving people the money they need to live. And not, not only can you solve it, it like turns out to be cheaper and more efficient. Yeah. 
It turns out it's probably it's probably cheaper to give people five hundred dollars a month for food than it is to imprison them at a cost of like thousands of dollars a month. You know, <laughs> but when your economy in poverty stricken areas is based off of giving people jobs as prison workers, or um, yeah, it's a value add. You know, that's it's <laughs> that. Yeah. But that is the problem, right? Like we've we've institutionalized all of these systems. Uh, and made them the backbones of economies mm-hmm. to basically police, imprison, and hurt uh, and deal with uh, poor people. <laughs> yeah. And the the answer is it's so much easier. You can just give them money, but you do have to get rid of all those systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, like, abolition is so important, too. Like, that's why the whole Yang gang, you know, Yang bucks sort of idea of UBI doesn't doesn't really work because it's like a half you measure to, at best. Yeah, you have to simultaneously like dismantle the systems that make it that incentivize uh lack of welfare that sort of exacerbate the system. Um so it's it's a both both th- things have to happen. But yeah, it's just funny how these studies keep coming out and it's like, "Oh yeah, you if you give people money, it's good for them." Yeah. Wow. It's nice that we <laughs> that we have actual evidence to point to and we keep getting more and more evidence, but it doesn't seem to silence the people who are like, you can't give people money, they'll stop working. And it's like, no, we we have so much evidence that proves that you're incorrect. But yeah, <sighs> I don't it, know. <laughs> it's just these are people who've never who've never really been poor. Uh, you don't know poor people, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. uh, may Allah another, awaken the people. Speaking all of saying. Allah awakening the people we've had this, this is another thing we've had in our show notes, just sitting there. We're thinking about it for a long time. Is, is it time for a third party? Andrew, do you think this is the one thing we didn't want to happen? <laughs> I think the, it is. Yeah. Um, I'd like a party that's broadly on the left instead of what we have now, well, which is parties that are on the right and even more to the right. So I've got good news and bad news for oh, you, Andrew. okay, sure. Ga- so Gallup just released some polling data on this, mm. um, and it shows Americans' desire for a third party has ticked up since last fall and now sits at a high. 62% of U.S. adults say the parties do such a poor job representing the American people that a third party is needed, an increase from only 57% in September. Uh, support for a third party has been elevated in recent years, including readings of 60% in 2013. Yada, yada, yada. So basically, it's it's on the rise. Yes. Only yes. 33% yes. of Americans yes. believe the two yes. major political parties are doing adequate job. What is uh, with those 33% of people? What, what are the... Uh, <laughs> What it? Like, what yeah, it? Do you doing a good job? That? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't get it. Yes, there's always a third of people who are like, eh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm yeah. okay. I'm okay. Everything's fine. Works on my machine. This is my 33 percent oh, guy voice. Boy. You know, uh, it's all right. I think they're doing Thir- the fine 33 job. 33 percenters. <laughs> 30. I'm I'm a 33 percenter, <laughs> and uh, I stand for. Okay, I, I think it's all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what happens if I do, what happens if I do that voice? Uh, oh with dear. This on. Well, you know, I'm all right. I think everything's going okay. I'm 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 happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, new, new character the, unlocked. <laughs> new, new character unlocked. Uh. <laughs> The problem is, so all, more people want a third party. Mm-hmm. The issue is that more Republicans want the party. They want a third party, and they want it to move to the right. Oh, <laughs> cool. So when you call Republicans and you say, you say, okay, all of you Republicans, how many of you want a third party? And a bunch of them raise their hands. Say, okay, how many of you want the party to be more towards the center or more towards the right? And they like all say, to the right for you (laughs) yeah great and then when you ask democrats or independents Mm -hmm. who lean democrat Mm -hmm. what they want they want the their third party or they want the democrats to move to to the to the center Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so what this is actually capturing is that there's a lot of people who um want to move toward the right yeah great (laughs) uh which is 
which is not great. <sighs> and, and it's interesting because it sort of sort of shows you how the Democratic Party through its party politics uh, and its and its uh, goals has created a system where they're captive to independents who aren't invested in the party and who are mostly Republicans, actually, mm-hmm. but they don't want to be called well, Republicans. Yeah, I mean, they just you want got people the like, Democrats uh, to be Republicans. You got people like, what's his face, Joe Manchin in the party, and he's like a Democrat in name. <laughs> But like, I mean, he's a 1990s Republican with yeah. A D on his like, name, if you, you know? if you watch his campaign ads, they're Republican campaign ads is the thing. <laughs> like, and the Democrats yeah. have have sought these sorts of candidates, right? That they've amplified them and and made the party to be like that, rather than giving an alternative, right? Uh, they figured the way to win in a lot of these places is to just run a more Republican Republican than the Republican. So a lot of people are saying like, oh, I think we're going to see a split. I think we're going to see a realignment. But I think the bad news is that that realignment is not going to result in a socialist leftist third party. Yeah, It's more likely to result in a new Democratic party that's more to the right. A Gentlemen, third party. This is democracy manifest. <laughs> You know, a normal Republican Party and then a Patriot Party. Oh, yeah, we love which that. Which is far right. Yeah. So Trump's been talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that, that's that been going on. That, that they've been, you dumps. know. They call them dumps. <laughs> Big, massive dumps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I don't know. I, I don't think, I think, you know, the thing that I'm really waking up to and realizing, and I think through this podcast we realize is like, you're not going to find your answers through the political parties. Like that's not, if you're somebody on the left, you should uninvest. We need more parties. We, need, we don't need just a third it. party. We need like, I don't know, six parties. We need we as like, many parties as there are genders basically. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is according to Biden, at least three. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Clap for that. You stupid bastard. We, yeah. Um, but you know, it's just like the answer. Like it, it, the answer is well, man. Oh, we'll talk about this another thing because I've got a, I've got a, I've got another bullet point up there that I'm building on. Mm. Uh, but uh, you know, inshallah, we'll see several, several more yeah, parties. Know. Joe, what do you think? Do you think? Uh, do you think we'll get a third party? It will never happen. Not today. Not tomorrow. Not ever. Not ever. Yes. Yes. Give me a break. I have no idea what I'm doing. I was not prepared for this. I'm trying and I'm learning. Thank you for your patience. There's so many mistakes I have already made, but I'm working to be better day by day. And I think I'm gonna make it, but for now I'll say I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing.